Thanks for coming back tonight. If you would, uh, please turn your Bibles with me to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. As you know, we have a good number of our people at uh, Pinebrook this week. I think there are over 100 from our congregation that are there. So I I decided, uh, tough to know what to, to preach on, so I decided to do my continue in my One Another series. And uh, since I was preaching on a good part of the congregation up there, I thought I'd come back and do the same tonight. And then we uh, haven't missed a beat on the various passages we've been looking at in uh, One Another series. Tonight we look at bearing one another's burdens. Looking at Galatians chapter 6, starting at verse 1, it says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression... You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work. Then his reason to boast will be in himself alone, and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. So tonight we are going to look at various aspects and elements to burden bearing. It seems very straightforward, and it is, but there are a a tremendous amount of practical issues that are found in this text in association with bearing one another's burdens. The first is the question, why should we bear one another's burdens? And the answer to that is twofold. First, we should bear one another's burdens because it is the spiritual thing to do. Thus, it is the right thing to do. What is the proper spiritual response to a brother or sister who is caught, trapped, ensnared, overcome, succumbed to uh, sin in their life? One might mistakenly think that our response should be to separate ourselves from that brother or sister. If they're going to sin like that, then you know, we're going to shun them. We're going to have nothing to do with them. We are, we are going to just distance ourselves from that particular individual. That was the Pharisees' view of what it was to be spiritual and how you should respond to sinners. If you remember, they found fault with Jesus because he ate with tax collectors and sinners. Don't you know who you are eating with. Earlier in Galatians chapter 2, we have this really strange encounter between Peter and uh, Paul. In verse 11 of chapter 2, it says, But when Cephas, of course that's Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Peter was eating with the the Gentiles, no problem. Remember, he had that vision of the sheet coming down uh, of unclean animals and... uh, Jesus said, those things that are unclean, don't, uh, those things that are uh, 
that I've made clean, don't call unclean. Don't call them common. Uh, so Peter was taught that he should eat with the Gentiles. And he, he should be eating these, these meat. And he was, until people came from James. Okay, before the legalistic uh, Christians, the Jewish converts came, and they wanted to make sure that everybody was circumcised. They wanted the nation of Israel's dietary laws to be followed. And so they said to Peter, you shouldn't be eating with these individuals. Distance yourself from them. And he did. And Peter said, no, that's not, uh, excuse me, Paul said, no, that's not the right thing to do. That's not what we're supposed to behave ourselves. That's not in keeping with the gospel. And so we have this kind of sarcastic statement, you who are spiritual, (laughs) if you want to know what spirituality is, then restore your brother. Restore your brother. The right response to such an individual is in our text in verse 1, to restore them. The word to restore is translated elsewhere uh, to mend in Matthew 4.21. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending, that's our word for restore, mending their nets, and he called them. So they were fixing their nets, whether they be entangled, whether they be torn, uh, whether they were rotting out of use, but uh, these nets were very expensive. And they weren't disposable. They weren't just thrown away and you go out and buy a new net. But they spent the time, they took the effort to mend, fix these nets so that they would become useful again. So they could go out and fish with them again. The idea is that we are to take a brother or a sister who is caught and trapped, entangled in sin, and make them useful again for the kingdom's sake. Uh, make them prosperous. Make them, bring them back into fellowship with God and with his people. That's the spiritual thing to do, to restore them to a place of usefulness, where once again, they can bring honor and glory to God and to be used for the kingdom. It also tells us that we should restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, not harshness. Notice at the end of verse 6, excuse me, end of verse 1 in Galatians 6. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him. Now these words in a spirit of gentleness. Again, one might think, and the legalistic approach is, you know, we ought to read that person the riot act. If they're caught in sin, we, we ought to just tee off on them, uh, publicly rebuke them, uh, disgrace them, make them an example so that nobody else is going to do that kind of sin. Okay, just, just let them have it. But the scripture says we are to treat them with gentleness, not with harshness. And again, there's a play on words here. For it says, in the spirit of gentleness... Because earlier in Galatians, uh, in Galatians chapter 5, when it speaks of the fruit of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, uh, self-control. But that word gentleness, the same word that's here. The Holy Spirit deals with us in gentleness. The Holy Spirit convicts us. The Holy Spirit uh, woos us. The Holy Spirit restores us, not in harshness, but in gentleness. 
and equips and enables us to serve God again. That same gentleness of the Holy Spirit is to be the gentleness of our spirit in ministering to others, restoring them. So the first reason that we are to restore individuals is because it's the spiritual right thing to do. The second reason that we are to restore individuals who are overcome, taken in by sin, is in order to live in keeping with Christ's commands. Notice verse 2. Bear one another burdens, and now this, so fulfill the law of Christ. Galatians teaches us, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 14, what I want to show you uh, tonight, and I'm doing this very hurriedly, uh, obviously, because I can't go through the whole book of Galatians, but Galatians 6 is a, is a summary application of all the foundational principles that Paul's been laying throughout the book of Galatians. And in Galatians chapter 5, he says, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Paul says that is the ultimate application of the law of God. If you love your neighbor as yourself, you're going to fulfill God's law. Just as Jesus had said uh, earlier when asked what is the uh, first and great commandment, he said you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. And the second is like it unto it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But our text talks about the uh, uh, law of Christ. The law of Christ. The law that Christ gave. In John chapter 13, Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you. A new commandment I give to you. That is that you love one another. Now that's not new. That's Old Testament. That you love your neighbor as yourself. But he said, I give you a new commandment. He raises the bar. No longer is the bar we love our neighbor as we love ourselves, but the new bar is we are to love one another just as I have loved you. So now it's greater than loving people the way that we love ourselves. Now we're to love others the way that Jesus loved us. The way that Jesus loved us. That speaks of both intensity and manner. With the same kind of intense love with which he loved us, that he was willing to give himself for us, and the manner in which he loved us. And the manner in which he loved us, that's in keeping with this text, is that he bore our sins. Matthew eight sixteen says, That evening they brought him, that's Jesus, many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill which was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illness and bore our diseases. The same word that's used in our text for bearing one another's burdens. He took upon himself our sicknesses. He, he reached out. He sought to do something about our sicknesses. He wanted to relieve our pain, our suffering, our hardship. He entered into our situation in order to free us from the symptoms of those diseases. Likewise, we are to seek to help free people from that entanglement that is overcoming them. We are to try to help them out of that 
miserable situation that we are in. We are seeking to redeem people, uh, not just restore, but actually free individuals for service for God. So then, what is involved in bearing one another's burdens? In Romans, it's putting up with one another's shortcomings. In Romans chapter 15, we are to bear with those that are weak, we are told. In another passage, it is to help one carry a heavy load. It is to help to uh, alleviate some of the hardships and difficulties, the consequences of one's actions. It is the opposite of saying, you made your bed, now lie in it. It's asking the question, how can I help you? How can I make life easier for you? What can I do to ease your suffering and pain? How am I able to make your situation better? It's not standing idly by when a person's arms are full of groceries that are just about to fall, but it's the seek to act redemptively in the life of another. Burdens come in all shapes and sizes. There are physical burdens, there are emotional burdens, there are financial burdens, and there are spiritual burdens. There are spiritual burdens that come from our own sin, consequences, hardships, difficulties. But you know, there, there are burdens that come not even from our own sins, but from the sins of others around us. There, there's the burden that comes in having a loved one who doesn't know Christ as Savior. There's the burden of a child who, who's not walking with God. And you see the way in which their life is headed, and you know the difficulty of the road that lies ahead. And it's hard. It's painful. Uh, it's difficult. Uh, that's a burden. And we are to seek to help people in all of these burdens. Some burdens result from sin. That's Galatians 6, verse 1. Uh, there are situations that, that, because of our sin, we make life miserable for us. Uh, there might be financial ramifications. And now we're broke because of, of our sin. We might have been in prison and it's difficult now to get a job. And there's all kinds of things of, of that nature. Then there's just plain, simple, irresponsible, uh, uh, being irresponsible, being lazy. <laughs> and that has its consequences. But we're to try to help people, uh, whatever the reason that they are now burdened. And then there are those situations in which we are under burdens for no particular sin of our own. There's a flood, and uh, our house is flooded. Uh, there's a lightning strike, and our house is burned down. Uh, Sandy Vivona was driving through an intersection, and a uh, car pulled out, didn't see them, and got uh, hit in the side of her vehicle. I mean, there are things that happen to us for no particular sin that we have committed. Whatever the case, whatever the reason, we are to seek to help to bear one another's burdens. But what I, I want to stress tonight, there's a couple of things, but this is one of them, is what is the danger in bearing one another's burdens? There, there's a danger that's referenced. If you look at verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression... 
You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself. Now these words, lest you too be tempted. So watch out for yourself so that you do not become tempted as you are seeking to bear another person's burden. So what are we to watch out for? You know, what's the red flag? What, what's the problem that, that we have to avoid at all costs? What do we have to be alert to? What might we stumble into as a result of bearing one another's burdens? I remember growing up, as people would teach Galatians chapter 6, that often the application was that we need to be sure that we don't enter into the same sin that they do. You better not get too close to someone or you're going to succumb to the very same thing that you're trying to deliver them from. An example would be a person who is drowning. A person who is drowning, we are warned that you better not get too close to that individual or they're going to pull you under. Uh, Better to throw them a life preserver. Better to hold out a paddle or something that they can reach onto. Because if you get too close to them, in their panic, they're just going to grab a hold of you and they are going to be actually pulling you down and pull you under. And if you aren't careful, you're both going to drown. And that would be the application. you got to be careful that you don't get pulled down with this brother who is committing this sinful act. Well, there's a measure of truth in that. We can't take anything for granted, and we ought to be careful. But that flows out of the misunderstanding, again, of what it means to be spiritual and keep your distance. <laughs> that, that's the argument for better stay away rather than come to your assistant, their assistance. Actually, in the text, it leads us in a little different direction. What is primarily in view in the nature of temptation is that if we are not careful, we are going to be overcome with pride. With pride. Why would that be a temptation? Let me give you a couple of reasons. First, the temptation is that we're going to be that we're going to feel morally superior because we have not succumbed to the exact same sin that someone else has succumbed to. Notice verse 3. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. We might begin to think that we are super spiritual. Remember the sarcasm of verse 1. You who are spiritual, restore such a one. Well, if we're not careful, we can begin to look down our nose at those people that we're trying to help, we're trying to minister to. Inwardly, it's easy to say, well, you know, I'm thankful that I'm not like them. Remember the, the Pharisee who, who stands in the uh, temple and he thanks God that he's not like this uh, plebeian? He's not like this tax collector that, you know, he doesn't do those kinds of things. It's easy to begin to think, wow, we're... We're spiritually, morally superior because we don't do these kind of things. 
Pastor says, don't deceive yourself. I mean, the reason that we don't do some of the things that, that other people do is the grace of God in our hearts and lives. It's, it's not that our hearts are intrinsically so different from theirs. It's God has, has done a work in us, and God has preserved us, and God has, has kept us, and God has been incredibly uh, good to us. I'm reminded of a uh, statement that Charles Spurgeon made. And he said that he was thankful that when the uh, uh, opportunity to sin was present, the desire was not. And uh, when the desire was not, then the opportunity uh, was present. He was, he was thankful that in God's sovereignty that Spurgeon was kept from doing some of the things that he easily could have done. Um, I think many of us can relate to that. So there's a danger of feeling morally superior to others. Secondly, there's a danger of feeling spiritually mature to others. One of the temptations is, you know, if you're helping the poor, you know, you're, you're uh, feeding others, you're, you're, you're reaching out, you're, you're trying to actively engage in in other people's lives, it's a temptation to kind of look over your shoulder at others and say, well, what are you doing? How are you helping? I'm doing all of this. And where's everybody else? Who's helping me? (laughs) Who's ministering to my needs? And it's pretty easy to get that Elijah complex of saying, I'm the last one. There's nobody else out there that's serving you, God, uh, except for a few thousand. Uh, you know, it just, uh, it's, it's a temptation on our part that we can begin to feel pretty morally superior when we are doing what we know is the right thing to do. And if we're not careful, we can look around and start finding fault with those that outwardly don't seem to be doing the same kind of things, but we don't know the heart, we don't know what they're doing, and they may be just as actively engaged as, as what we are. So it says that um, we should not compare ourselves to others, verse 4, but let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. In other words, you can feel good about what you're doing and not because, in a comparative way, you are looking at your neighbor. So what we should do as we think about where we are spiritually, where are we in this whole process of restoring others, how are we doing in burden-bearing, is not in comparison with somebody else in terms of, well, I'm not doing the kinds of things that they're doing, or I'm helping in ways that they're not helping, But what we should do is compare ourselves to ourselves. Where am I today in relationship to where I was 10 years ago? Where am I in my sanctification? Where am I in my spiritual walk? Where am I in my own personal life of living for the Lord Jesus Christ? Where am I in my sinful desires and behaviors? Do I see progress? Do I see growth? Do I see a greater commitment to the things of God? Or am I stagnant? Or worse yet, have I regressed? 
did I have at one point a greater concern for others than I do now? Was I more actively engaged in seeking to remove other people's burdens than I am now? Where do I stand today in relationship to where I stood five years ago? That's what we ought to be asking ourselves. Not comparing ourselves to others, but comparing ourselves to ourselves. And uh, if we do that, we are going to be spared from this temptation of spiritual and moral superiority as we seek to help others. And then lastly, what is the individual's own responsibility in burden bearing? When do we cease to become a helper and become an enabler? When do we bear a person's burden and when do we not bear a person's burden? And when do people help us in our burden and when do we need to bear our own burden? That's verse 5. For each one will have to bear his own load. Now, think with me about this for a moment. Each one will have to bear his own load. The ESV, which I'm using tonight, the NIV and the NAS all translate this, let each each carry their own load. In uh, the King James, if you have a King James, it's going to say each one will have to carry their own burden. It's good that they translate this word differently because it's a different word in verse 5 than it is in verse 2 where we are to bear one another's burden. So it's a different word. But this word is an interesting word. It's a fascinating word. Let me give you some places where it's used. First, it's used by Jesus in that famous statement, uh, if you are weak and heavy laden, uh, you are coming to me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The word for burden, being light, is the word that's in our text for load, verse 5. It's different from the one in verse 2. My burden is light. There's also another usage of this word. It's in association with the Pharisees. In Matthew 23, verse 4, It says this, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. Now here, they're referred to as heavy burdens, hard to bear. Same word that's found in verse 5 in Galatians 6 that's translated as load. Now get the picture here, okay? Uh, I don't know much about weightlifting, okay? I did a little bit of weightlifting when I was in high school, but uh, I, I really don't know about competitive weightlifting. But I've seen it. And there is a, there is a uh, lift that, uh, I don't know what it is, but there's a bar that goes across with weights on it, and a person comes and gets under that bar, okay, uh, and doesn't, you know, come from down here and lift it, but lifts it from, like, this position up. Anybody know what that is? 
Deadlift. Okay, thank you. Deadlift. Yeah. Okay, deadlift. All right. Very good. Thank you. Now, if you see the deadlift, a lot of times there's a guy on that end of the of the dar- uh, of the barbell and a guy on this end of the barbell and they're picking it up and putting it on this stand because it's too heavy for each either one of those guys to lift by themselves. And it's too heavy for the guy doing the deadlift to start down here. Okay, it's not, you know, that move where he's pulling up here and then, you know, he's trying to get it up, up here and he, and he can't. He's starting from here because it's such a heavy load. And he's trying just simply to lock his knees and get up because it's such a heavy weight. That's the picture of the Pharisees. They're laying this heavy load on the shoulders of an individual. And then not lifting a finger to help them carry it. But it's such a heavy load that he could never get it on his shoulders himself. They're laying it on the shoulders. Okay? You've got to get the word pictures here. Now let's go back to the word picture of Jesus. Who said, take my yoke upon you. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Okay? Picture, if you will, what a yoke is. You know, a yoke in those days was that wooden thing that was, uh, it was a wooden harness, if you will, that was draped over uh, usually oxen, where the ox's head would be put through that, that yoke and it would come to rest on their shoulders, so that that animal could pull against this yoke and then pull this heavy burden behind them. But you could also have a double-yoked oxen, so that now there's this long wooden piece that would fit over one oxen, and the other side would fit over the other oxen. And together they would pull, and they could pull a weight that was much greater than they could pull individually. That's the imagery of what Jesus does. He comes alongside, and not like the Pharisees, who put this heavy burden on our shoulders, and then doesn't take a finger to help us. Instead, he puts a yoke upon us with himself and the other half of that yoke, and turns what would be a heavy burden into a lighter burden. A manageable burden. And so as you think of this word tonight, for this load and responsibility, I like the word manageable. Manageable. So I would submit to you the difference between a burden and a load is between what is manageable on your own, with Christ's help, of course, and that which you need someone's help to do. We are responsible for the things that we are manageable for on our own to do. And be on the lookout for things that people can't do on their own. And then help them. But now here's the real uh, nifty part of this. 
And that is that the issue isn't the load, it's the capacity of the individual. Let me tell you one other way in which this very same word for load is used. And that is cargo. When you think of cargo, you usually think of something pretty heavy. Okay. Cargo. But what the most important factor in carrying cargo is not the weight of the cargo, it's the capacity of the ship. If you've got a freight liner, you have a hold that is huge. And you could put a tank in a warship. You could put a tank in a freight liner, and it wouldn't sink it. Now, think about driving a tank on a rowboat. And what's going to happen when that tank hits that, that rowboat? You see, it isn't the difference in the load, it's the difference of the capacity to handle the load. Which I think is extremely, extremely important. We need to focus more on people's capacities and less on the load, as opposed to more on the load and less on people's capacities. Let me give you a series of illustrations to tell you what what I mean by that. The resources that people have to deal with burdens are varied. In fact, there are myriad, the differences. So that what is a load to one person is a burden to another, and what is a burden to one person is a load to another. There are many factors that enter into that. Think, if you would, for example, your car breaks down, and it's going to take $1,000 to fix it. Is that a load or is that a burden? If you have $100,000 in your bank account, it's manageable. It's a load. If you've got $600 in your bank account, all of a sudden that becomes a burden. How am I going to be able to manage this on my own? If you have $600 in your bank account, but the car is under warranty, then it's no big deal because the warranty is going to cover the $1,000 repair. So even though you only have $600 in the bank account, you got the warranty. But let's suppose this car needs a repair and it's the only car you have. And so it's going to be laid up for two weeks while this repair is done. Now you have the money to handle it, but you only have one car. And somebody's got to help you get around or help you pick it up. And then all of a sudden, even though you have the money to pay for it, it becomes a burden. You need help. But you may take it to a dealership that has a loaner. And while it's being fixed, they give you a free loaner car to drive around. And so you don't need anybody to pick you up and take you to to get this vehicle. You're fine because you got a loaner car. 
And we can go on and on and on. What is a burden to one is a uh, load to another. What is a load to one is a burden to another. And there are so many factors involved in that. For example, not just varying financial resources, varying family resources. You know, if, if uh, you are one of six kids and uh, all of your siblings live around you, life is different than if you are an only child. Or if all your children have moved away. That's different from a family that all their children live in a little community together. Spiritual resources are different. Uh, If we have people praying for us, or if we don't. If we're well taught in the scriptures, or we're ignorant of the scriptures. If we understand God's sovereignty, or if we don't. If, If we think that something Difficult happened to us, and, and it's our understanding that God wraps people who know Christ in a cellophane protection. Then, where's God? And what happened? And why is this happening to me? But if I understand that the Christian life, that the same things that happen in the world happen in my life, then it doesn't raise the same kind of spiritual doubts. Life experiences are different. If you've never been under anesthesia before, and you're facing an operation. That might be a really big deal. That might really be scary. If you've had 13 operations, and you've been under anesthesia 13 times, it's less of a deal. If this is the first year you're going off to college, and you're traveling out west, and you've never been away from home before, that's different from the person who's becoming a commuter. And that's different from a person who's returning for their senior year. What I'm saying to you is the same event can be a load or can be a burden. We have the tendency to focus on loads. I could uh, give you, I, I didn't take the time, but there's a famous chart that's been established, that talks about stress figures and uh, labels certain events in your, your life and it, and it gives you the amount of stress that it's associated with that. But it fails to take into consideration different people's circumstances. It's not the same for everybody. It's not the same. So we can't just focus on the load. We have to focus on people. Focus on people. For example, you think of a child. Uh, a, a child that can't tie their shoes. Uh, what's it, when do kids learn to tie their shoes? Six years old, okay. It's been a long time, okay. So six years old, let's say, that they are tying their shoes. So now this, this little boy and girl can tie their shoes. Now they have a little brother or sister, and they're three years old, and you know, they're wearing the Velcro stuff. 
because they can't tie their shoes. And they look at them and, ha, 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 I can tie my shoes, you can't, you're a little baby. And they're feeling really good about themselves because they can, they can tie their shoes. And they get pretty proud and puffed up and, because I tie my shoes and you don't. Got to be aware. Got to be, be uh, on guard. Okay. And then you grow up and you be a big boy and it's no big deal to tie your shoes, right? Just a few weeks ago, I was downstairs and I was walking uh, down the corridor and a teen came up to me and said, Pastor, your shoe's untied. Don't want you to trip over it. I said, well, thank you. I appreciate that. And, uh, you know, it's difficult for me now just to bend down and tie my shoes. Doing this is forget it, okay? I can't, I can't hold it up there long enough to tie my shoes. So if I'm going to tie my shoes, I have to sit down. But sitting down on the floor and getting up is an effort, okay? So if I sit down, I want a chair, all right? Tying the shoes isn't as easy as when I was six, although it's such an easy thing to do. But you know what that teenager did? I didn't even ask him. They bent down and tied my shoe. They were sensitive enough to realize that I wasn't going to be able to do that. And without even me asking, just bent down and tied my shoe. Believe it or not, that's a good illustration of this passage in bearing one another's burdens, of being sensitive to where we are in life, being mindful, and realize that we're not all the same, and our circumstances aren't all the same. And so we can't treat each other all the same. Let me ask you a question. Carrying your Bible, is that a load or is that a burden? Is that easily manageable on your own or you need help? What is it? A load. Everybody agreed it's a load? What if you're using a walker and you have to have both hands on a walker? Now, is it a load or is it a burden? Think about this, okay? I've been... There, I've used a walker and put the Bible under your arm and trying to hold it tight as you're doing this. Okay, it'd be nice to have somebody carrying your Bible. But, if you use a walker, does that automatically mean it's a burden? No, you see these Cadillac walkers? You know, that's what I call them. You know, because they, they have uh, the, 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 the seat... You can send, I had one of those too. You have a seat and it lifts up and there's a storage bin underneath it. I mean, it's a really nifty thing, okay? And, you know, all you have to do is pick up the seat and put your Bible in the storage bin and you're off and moving. It's not a burden. It's a load. I can handle it very well on my own. You know, there are times living alone can be a burden. Living alone it can be a load. It can be very manageable. It's not about the event. It's about the capacity 
that we have to respond to the event. That's what we have to be careful in dealing with one another. Because sometimes people don't need our help. And they become indignant when we, when we insist that they need our help. And they say, no, I don't. And they really may not need it. And we look at this and say, well, how could they not need it? Look at this big event. Look at this difficulty. Look at this 100-pound weight that they have to lift. Believe it or not, I can remember a time that I could throw 100-pound feed bags around. I spent uh, one summer working uh, with a feed mill. And I picked up 100-pound bags and stacked them up and stacked them up as high as my head and didn't think twice about it. Believe me, if somebody asks me to move a 100-pound feed bag, it is now a burden. I'm going to need some help. Okay, I'm not going to get it up even with my head today. It's not about the event. It's not about the load itself. It's about the capacity that we have to meet that load. And so what is really essential is that we know each other. We know each other well. We understand each other's strengths and weaknesses, emotionally, spiritually, physically, so that we can reach out to individuals. And then what really complicates things is that life is not just segmented into nice little portions. You've heard the, the adage, I'm sure, it's the straw that broke the camel's back. A straw is nothing. It's like a feather. But the camel is so burdened already that you put the one last thing on top and they, they break. You know, sometimes it's not that it's such a big deal. It's that it comes on the heel of so many different things. You know, so, you know, take Sandy Vivona for example. She, she was in an automobile accident. Her husband died nine months ago. She's been in the hospital for almost three months. It's event after event after event. It was, she was really looking forward to going to Pinebrook. This happens the night before. That she was really looking forward to going to Pinebrook and being with God's people. And, you know, she's been almost like a shut-in for such a long period of time. And now, the night before, she's going to Pinebrook. What happens? She's in an automobile accident. She can't go. Not only that, I think that this car is the first new car that she's ever had. I could be wrong about that. But I am sure that it's the first new car that she would have had in a long time. It's her brand new car that was hit. And she wasn't driving. Carrie was driving, her daughter. And Carrie's a, a wonderful person and, and helps her. And I imagine Carrie's upset, you know, thinking, oh, man, you know, we just got this car for mom and now it's wrecked. And so it, it's not even the event. It's, it's not even the person's emotional strength. It's what's happening all at the same time. So what I'm trying to say to you tonight is that when we think about burden bearing, 
It's much more about the individual than it is the load. Let's think less about the load and more about the individual. And realize there are people that they're okay with this. They, they can handle this. They, and, you know, the, Sandy has a tremendous amount of resolve. And, you know, she's, she's wanting to handle this. And she's wanting to handle it on her own. She's, you know, you have to kind of respect that. You, you kind of have to appreciate that. You also have to be sensitive to saying, okay, now when's the straw going to hit and, you know, what, what could be the next thing? And, and, you know, by the way, she just moved, too, from the second floor to the first floor, so she has that and had to get rid of some things, and there are the emotional aspects. Of it. What I'm saying to you is, in order to really bear one of those burdens, we have to know each other. And I mean, know each other well. What's going on in our, each other's lives? Uh, what's taking place? Um, what we are like? What resources we have? Family resources, financial resources, uh, friends, church. You know, it's different from a person who comes every Sunday to the person who's fringe. Their relationship to people is different. Their relationship to the church is different. It's different for the person who has known the Lord for six months and the person who's known the Lord for 40 years. It's not just, are they a Christian or not? It's their life's experiences. And so the passage teaches us that we are to bear one another's burdens. That which is unmanageable on one's own. We have to come alongside and help. That which is manageable on our own, we need to manage. Because if we don't, we might become the straw that broke the camel's back. You know, we hear people say, I don't want to be a burden to others. There is a a time and a place where in humility we have to accept other people's help. There are also times and places in which we have to shoulder our own load. And we have to be responsible and we have to step up to the plate. And we have to do uh, what uh, is manageable for us to do. That's the challenge of Galatians chapter 6. And it's a beautiful passage on bearing one another's burdens. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you and help us in this whole process of burden bearing. Give us a sensitivity. Give us an understanding of one another. uh, Give us insight into each other's lives. And uh, Lord... Help us to be spiritual and uh, come to people's aids and, and not distance ourselves from them. Help us to follow the law of Christ, to act as he would act. And uh, Lord, uh, keep us from pride in this whole process, both the pride of um, thinking that we are something that we are not because we are helping, and also the pride to refuse help when we need it. Uh, Lord, uh, May we acknowledge um, that things are hard to manage. And when people reach out to us, may we be thankful. May we accept this as your grace and your goodness. May we express thankfulness to them and to the Lord. So, Lord, give us the wisdom to know the difference between a a burden and a load. Uh, Give us a sensitivity to one another. 
Help us to fulfill the law of Christ. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. And you are dismissed.